Happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Maybe you've got some palms at home, probably not, but when I was growing up, this was a huge part of my childhood. Palm Sunday. In the Episcopal Church, we made a big deal of Palm Sunday. We'd dress up, we'd have this huge royal procession into the church where the priests would be dressed in white robes and purple sash. I can always remember my father telling me about his experience on Palm Sunday when I was a little boy. He always remembers me being hoisted on his shoulders, waving the palms, you know, in celebration, screaming out, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And it's always been this beautiful moment for me to reflect on a moment my father and I shared together. And so as I was thinking about preaching about Palm Sunday, I was so excited because, you know, I was planning on preaching about celebration and peace and all of these things until I started learning that these palms actually have a different meaning completely back in the day of Jesus' time. And in my mind, these palms turn from this beautiful thing to kind of this. And we're going to talk about that today because it's easy for us to not have the full story, the full picture. And I think we really have to ask ourselves, who are we celebrating? on this Palm Sunday. So we're gonna start by looking at John 12, 12. So go ahead and turn there with me or we will put it on the screen. And let's really dig into what this is actually about. So let's start at John 12, 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. So the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. It was also because they heard that he had performed this sign that the crowd went to meet him. The Pharisees then said to one another, You see, you can do nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So, 
It's five days before Jesus' crucifixion, five days before Passover, and Jesus meets this crowd waving palms, right? And again, I always thought these, these palms were a sign of peace, of God's eternal love. But in this time, they actually weren't. In fact, palm branches are rooted in militaristic violence. Really? Yes. <laughs> I know, right? I swear they are. And I didn't want to believe it either, but it's true. There's history to these palms. So in 164 BCE, Syrian forces sacked Jerusalem and practically destroyed its temple. And there was a revolutionary Jewish leader named Judas Maccabeus who led a guerrilla group of warriors to recapture most of the city. So what they do is, is they rededicate the temple. They have this huge celebration for eight days, which we call the Festival of Booths. And during this festival, they would build shelters out of huge palm branches. So, you know, the California kind of palm branches, right? Where they cut down these huge parts of it, build these big shelters. And to celebrate the big win, they would wave these palm branches as an offering of thanks to God who had given them success in battle. But you see, you have to understand that Judas hadn't really fully succeeded because for the next 30 years, his brother Simon Maccabeus also had to fight off the rest of the Syrians. And it wasn't until 141 BCE that they were finally liberated. And when that happened, they had another huge celebration, everyone waving their palm branches in a triumphant ceremony, you know, with music and dancing because another enemy had been destroyed. So when the author we call John says, palm branches of palm trees, he's likely very intentionally referring to Judas Maccabeus and the way they use palm trees to build their shelters, and also how both Simon and Judas use palm branches to celebrate military victory. Palm branches of palm trees. In other words, scholars note that palm branches became associated with nationalistic aspirations. So when Jesus enters Jerusalem and, and they're waving palm branches, they're actually signaling a nationalistic hope that Jesus would take over through violence. And this religious nationalism, it's been building up for years and years, and they hope that Jesus would be the one to take it to the next level. Because in their eyes, Jesus is the, the new warrior like God who would free them from Rome. <laughs> what? So that's what the palms were about? I mean, honestly, I was shocked to find that out. But I mean, in some ways, it, it does make sense. Because they aren't the only ones caught in a destructive cycle of violence. In many ways, they learned this from Rome. They've bought into the logic that, that violence, rather than peacemaking, 
would bring God's shalom, God's kingdom into existence. Because Rome certainly knew how to use violence to keep control. You see, during this time, Pontius Pilate was also making a grand entrance. Since it's close to Passover, some scholars even think that Jesus and Pilate may have entered Jerusalem at the same time from opposite sides of the city. But Pilate's entrance, or, or anyone important from Rome, frankly, would have looked much different than Jesus' entrance. Because the soldiers who traveled with Pilate would have been super intimidating. So remember, the Passover festival is taking place, so there's this huge increase in Jerusalem's population, and Rome was always brought in to maintain order. They have to keep everything under control. So it's very possible that Pilate had up to 1,000 troops marching in with him to Jerusalem. Chariots, horses, infantrymen, a huge spectacle for the powerful military force of Rome. The triumphal entrance of Pilate was meant to intimidate and impress. So that's what we've got going on in this passage. The, the palms waving of the crowds and the grand entrance that they're so used to. And then we have Jesus. See, Jesus knows all of this is going on, and he knows it's time to make his entrance. So <laughs> Jesus does something totally unexpected. He makes an ass out of Rome and the crowd, quite literally. He stages something very theatrical. Let's go back to verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. See, there's the clue, the donkey. Okay, so <laughs> donkey, what's a donkey have to do with any of this? You see, he's fulfilling an ancient prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9, where the new king or the Messiah would come riding in on the back of a donkey. The donkey represents peace. No one rides a donkey into battle. Right? I mean, can you imagine, right, like horses whizzing by, soldiers charging forth, and here comes this guy on a donkey, you know. Oh, hey, everyone, yeah, I'll catch up with you later, you know. Mama donkey here. No! A donkey is not suitable for war. Zacharias king comes in peace to establish peace. That's the kind of king Jesus is when he enters Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem actually means city of peace or city of shalom. It's supposed to be the place that made God's reign visible. So when Jesus comes through the gates of the city of peace, he does so on a symbol of peace. So while Pontius Pilate rode on horseback with a thousand armed men, 
Jesus rode on a donkey with a small band of unarmed disciples. While the bloodthirsty crowd cried out for an overthrow, he cries out in a silent, peaceful protest. This was both an unmistakable political act, a parody of the powers to be, and a call for peaceful conversion. You see, Jesus' entry was not actually the, the triumphal entry our Christian tradition has so grown accustomed to. It was non-triumphal or even anti-triumphal. He wants to say to everyone, Hey, I'm not the kind of God you think I am. Because the truth is, most of them miss God completely. Rome certainly missed it. The disciples don't get it, right? It says here, His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they then remembered that these things had been written of him and had been done to him. The people in the crowd probably don't get it either. And again, it makes me wonder, who are we celebrating? Are we missing God? Because let's be honest, a lot of Christianity in the United States has completely missed God. In a land that professes, in God we trust, sometimes it seems like in guns we trust. As we mourn another mass shooting in Boulder right after lamenting the attacks on Georgia, it seems we can't escape the violence. The U.S. has the worst rate of gun violence among all developed nations. We top the list of countries with the most firearms, more than one gun per person. I mean, there's just overwhelming evidence that this country has a unique problem with gun violence, mostly because it has a unique ability to make guns available. I mean, sometimes it seems like in money we trust. The United States exhibits wider disparities of wealth between the rich and the poor than any other major developed nation. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Is it really in God we trust? Because sadly, the, the history of violence and the history of religion are almost the same history. Religion very often creates violent people who believe in a violent God. Because, I mean, let's just be honest for a second. Don't we want God to make a grand entrance? Don't we want God to conquer and vanquish our enemies? Would we be impressed by a nomad riding into town on a donkey? Look, I struggle with these things too. We all do because violence is baked into our culture and baked into our views and our theological understandings about God. Who are we celebrating? Because when Jesus, when he rode through that gate on a donkey, he is very clearly challenging all of us 
the crowd, Rome, everyone to convert to peace. And that is a cause for celebration. And, and this is what I really hope we can learn. That by subverting violent expectations, Jesus gives us a new cause for celebration. God works in us to subvert our expectations, our ego desires, our false self, and even our celebrations to turn them towards something worth celebrating. Because celebration is good. God knows the importance of celebration. I mean, I mean look, right? Jesus doesn't stop this celebration, does he? No. He uses it for his godly aims. You see, the, the hardest thing uh, to come to, to terms with in this passage is that these people in the crowd were hurting. Yeah, they had violent intentions, but despite that, they saw something in Jesus. They knew about the miracles he performed, raising Lazarus from the dead. The text talks about that. That's why a lot of people were there. They noticed him because they were like him suffering from Roman rule. And it's easy if you're hearing this to, for all of us to cast them off and think of, oh look, they're just violent like everyone else. But there's a reason. There was something beyond their violent motivations, liberation. They wanted liberation from Rome. And Jesus honors that desire for liberation. He doesn't stop the celebration. Jesus wants their liberation. He wants our liberation. He hears their cries. And when the people are crying out, Hosanna! Scholars note that it actually means save now or save, please. Or best translated as save or help, please, O son of David. Save or help, please, O highest. People are crying out that same cry today. He knows their pain because his pain is theirs. They're caught in a destructive cycle of violence they learned from Rome. We're caught in a destructive cycle of violence. He doesn't condemn these people for putting their hopes in him. He doesn't jump off the donkey and rip the palms out of their hands. And Maybe you're wondering, well, why doesn't God just jump off the donkey? Why doesn't he rip the palms out of their hands? Because maybe that's part of the answer. God isn't a God of violence. God doesn't violently coerce us into becoming better. Jesus is not going to do that. God works peacefully and subversively to undermine our thirst for violence. And that, that again is a cause for celebration. God comes forever in the world riding on a donkey. And we must continually learn how to celebrate that every year, every day, every moment. 
we can't afford to be co-opted to believe in a violent God anymore. We can't afford to miss God. Because this warrior like God in the name of Jesus has been used to build and twist and create systems of oppression, violence, and hate against all of us. And this week, when Christ walks the lonely road to Calvary, that very same violence will turn on him. The crowd that cheered him into the city of Jerusalem, the city of peace, will ultimately turn on him and demand his crucifixion because he didn't meet their expectations. Is he meeting ours? We have to decide who are we celebrating? Does he meet our expectations? Because if it's not a liberating, loving God, then it's not Christ. It's Antichrist. If it's not pointing us to peace, then it's not Christ. It's Antichrist. We have to decide, is this really the kind of authority that we will respect? Because this, this is how God decided to change the course of history. Not by sending what the Jews expected, a powerful political revolutionary who would lift them out through violence, but through a humble carpenter who subverted expectations with love. Jesus enters the gate not as a warrior God, but as the Prince of Peace. Jesus saves us by saving us of our expectations of what a Savior should be. And now we must give people a new reason to celebrate the things of God. Because you see, I, I struggled with this message so much this week because the innocent child on my father's shoulders wanted to live in the illusion of a peaceful Palm Sunday. I read scholar after scholar hoping to find another way out of the crowd's lust for violence. But this, this is the world Jesus reviews and reveals. It's a reality we must contend with. But you know what? I also realized something else. In some small ways, Jesus has already succeeded. Because what used to be a symbol of nationalistic violence has now shifted and been redeemed, resurrected. These very palms have been redeemed in many ways because now, right, some 2,000 years later, when we wave these palms, we do think of peace, of God's eternal love. We tell the stories of our sons and daughters on our shoulders, crying out for the Prince of Peace, we've put to death the old meaning and birthed a new one. What else can be redeemed 
What else can we learn to celebrate that once used to be violent? Because even though Jesus will walk the road to Calvary this week, death will not have the final word. We're here to give people a new cause for celebration. A reason to celebrate the peace of God. And you know, I love this this last part in the passage. When the Pharisee says, You cannot do anything. The whole world has gone after him. And maybe they're actually right. Maybe that can become our reality. The world's reality. The whole world has gone after Jesus. Maybe that can be true. If and when we give them a new cause for celebration. Will you pray with me? (sighs) Loving God, peaceful God, subversive God, thank you. Thank you for showing us again and again that you are not a God of violence, that you come dressed in peace riding forever in the world on a donkey. May we be agents of that peace. May we continue to give the world a new cause for celebration. May we see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. All right, now we're actually going to practice what we're preaching here, okay? So our amazing intern, Rebecca Riley, and I have been putting together our own little celebration for you based on Women's History Month. Again, this, these stories you're going to hear are a worthy cause for celebration. These are the kinds of stories that don't get told, that we can lift up, that we see God's peace in. So I hope you enjoy this celebration. I hope you see this as an extension, a practical reality of the very things we're trying to learn to do today. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is CJ, and we have some quick announcements here for you this morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're new to the Oceanside Sanctuary online gatherings, we are so glad to have you. We would love to know where you're at, where you're watching from, and you can find us on the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash contact portion of the website when you're ready. Um, The church directory update is happening and you don't want to miss out on this. We would love to get your updated information and the church and the staff is in the process of putting that all together so we can get back together and serve you safely, hopefully very soon. It's super easy. We will be sending out an email, so make sure you check all your different email boxes and simply respond to the uh, online directory update when you get that email. It takes just a few minutes. 
or you can head over to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash contact and that'll get you in contact with the new online directory. So take care of that, just take a few minutes and that is gonna be a huge help to our staff as we get ready to open back up the Oceanside Sanctuary and begin to meet live and in person again, hopefully very soon. Uh, coming up today, right after church, it is the Zoom Hangout with coffee, and you just grab a cup of coffee, grab whatever you enjoy drinking, and meet some new friends, let people know how you're doing, um, give us some updates on what's going on in your life. We certainly miss seeing you in person, but this is a great alternative. So that's going to happen. Uh, coffee and Zoom right after church today. The link is below. The link is also going to be in the comments where you can si simply click on that and it'll take you to that Coffee and Zoom hangout today after church. Uh, coming up every Wednesday night beginning April the 7th and going through May the 12th at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday nights, it's How Not to Read the Bible. It's going to be a six-week online Zoom class. We'd love to have you there if you are tired of watching people use the Bible to justify abuse, hate, and violence, well, so are we. And we'd love to give you an alternative study that's going to be really encouraging, intelligent, faithful, and radically inclusive with a perspective that you are going to love. So you can RSVP for that, the OceansideSanctuary.org backslash calendar. Once again, that's going to be every Wednesday night, beginning April the 7th, going through May the 12th at 6.30 p.m. And then finally, we would love for you to be part of giving to the Oceanside Sanctuary, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization which survives and thrives on gifts from us who are part of this uh, great church that is impacting this community. You can simply get more information on the OceansideSanctuary.org backslash give. You can touch base with our pastors and our staff for more information about giving and you can make it very easily to give online every single month or whatever works best for you. Well, great to see you out there in virtual land today. Hope you're doing well. Look forward to seeing you soon. Continue to stay safe and healthy. And if you have any questions about the Oceanside Sanctuary, head over to the OceansideSanctuary.org website. Have a great week, everybody.